you cannot chase success for success like happiness cannot be pursued it must ensue and and it ensues through a search for meaning through discovering meaning in our lives by seeking self-transcendent meaning by seeking these things creativity uh, our attitudes and experience by seeking meaning we find success and happiness welcome to the mindful wealth podcast stop financializing everything what is true wealth what's the right metric for success much of how we live presupposes that our incomes or spending is a good measuring stick but can you really quantify success with a bank balance or should we include softer things like learning and love generosity and gratitude and happiness and well-being welcome to the mindful wealth podcast where we seek advice to help us lead wealthier lives and extend success to a wider community and now your hosts Jonathan Dio and Terry Shower. Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Mindful Wealth podcast. Today, we're talking to Dr. Dan France, a proponent of logotherapy. Now, logotherapy is a psychology of meaning pioneered by Viktor Frankl, concentration camp survivor and author of the famous book, Man's Search for Meaning. In this episode with Dr. Dan, we explore how the search for meaning fits in with the quest for wealth and ambition more generally. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Dr. Dan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Mindful Wealth podcast. We have the pleasure today of talking to Dr. Dan, and uh, he's an expert of logotherapy. So we'll get into a little bit about what that means. And uh, yeah, go ahead. So uh, Dr. Dan, uh, you know, we, we always like to start out with an opportunity for you to kind of introduce yourself to our audience. Um, so go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So, um, you know, I think being a, a psychologist, a therapist in private practice opens us up to a lot of opportunities to do different things. Uh, to summarize it, I, I like to think of myself as a little bit of a psychological superhero, maybe. Uh, you know, most of the time I'm a uh, mild-mannered clinician and or professor throughout the day, uh, but my superpower is definitely um, sharing the, the information of, uh, and, and the power of logotherapy through speaking, um, consulting, uh, doing my own podcast, and just kind of sharing that information. When I was studying logotherapy years ago, um, I believe some of my instructors got a little tired of me saying, more people need to know about this. Uh, I, I, I said that and wrote that very often. And so that's, uh, that's kind of my superpower these days is getting that message out there. So maybe you can tell us kind of in a nutshell for people who've never heard of logotherapy, what, what is it exactly and what makes it so special in the realm of psychotherapy? Sure. First, I have to ask, um, I, I read that question earlier and you said, tell me about logotherapy in a nutshell. Was mm -hmm. that intentional? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> because then, as you know, uh, one of Victor Frankl, the originator of logotherapy, his, his, one of his main books is Man's Search for Meaning. And the second half of that book is actually called Logotherapy in a Nutshell. So I thought that was, that was quite amusing. Um, boy, how do you summarize all those volumes and years of information uh, in, in a nutshell? Logotherapy is the psychology of meaning. Um, Viktor Frankl kind of started the third, uh, third school of Viennese psychology. 
Um, he learned from Freud as a precocious, I believe he was 15 or 16 year old. Here he was uh, mailing Sigmund Freud back in the day saying, you know, I like some of your ideas, but I think maybe you have some of it wrong. So let me challenge you on this. Um, Freud thought we had a will to pleasure. His student Adler thought we had a will to power. And then Frankel comes about and says, no, no, man is, is definitely a being in search of meaning. Um, echoing something Plato said about 2,400 years before that. And so early on in the early 1900s, he's formulating this theory of um, man being a, a being in search of meaning and does really well with it. Um, he's helping, you know, he's, he's studying neurology and psychiatry. He goes on to get multiple degrees and he's formulating this idea that when we can discover meaning in life, it helps us to find health and wholeness. Um, he, in a time after World War I, where uh, Austria is struggling with all the politics inherent to losing the World War, the work he did really helped bring down suicide rates in, in the clinics he was working at. It helped a lot of uh, young people kind of find meaning and purpose in their lives. And then we have World War II, where as a Jew in Austria, um, Frankl's taken off to the concentration camps and for three years really takes his theories and, and this is where they're kind of validated in fire and uh, he comes out of there and the first book he writes is man's search for meaning i think i think it was in nine days he had all these ideas in his head he said i've got to get these on paper and that's where man's search for meaning comes from so that was a big nutshell <laughs> the bottom line is logotherapy is the psychology of meaning okay and so if i'm understanding this correctly it's a question for you like as a practitioner of this school of psychotherapy of learning helping people to apply the search for meaning in their lives in order to experience more wellness so maybe you could give us like a more concrete example or, or an, an insight into how people might apply logotherapy in their lives because i think okay in the in the philosophical realm will to meaning will to power they're sort of big abstract concepts but if we bring that more into people's everyday lives how would I apply the search for meaning to experience life in a better way? Yeah, awesome question. I, I love answering this one, right? Because there are very concrete ways um, that we can discover meaning in our life um, through creative endeavors, uh, creating works of art, music, um, work. Our work can be an opportunity to discover meaning. Um, a day like this, when I get to enjoy sessions with uh, struggling clients um, for a few hours and then I come get to share uh, some of the information of logotherapy with you and your audience. I mean, that is very meaningful for me. And obviously I would assume for you too, or else you wouldn't be doing this, taking the time to, to create such a wonderful project. So creativity, work, um, experience, experiencing nature, um, experiencing, experiencing art. Um, for me, sometimes it's, uh, recently I've had opportunities to experience some of the authors I enjoy reading. So just getting out into the world and experiencing life and experiencing other people. Um, sharing of ourselves in kind of a, a transcendent way is an opportunity to discover meaning. And then one of the things Frankel writes prolifically about is the idea of um, choosing our attitudes towards difficulties in life, towards suffering in life. And that's where the concentration camps really tried his theories is that um, we cannot escape certain uh, negative impacts in life, pain, guilt, death, suffering. It's part of the human condition. But we get to choose our attitude towards it. And when we choose an attitude of turning suffering into achievement, we have the opportunity to discover meaning. 
I love that turning suffering into achievement. That's just such a great soundbite. Thank you. And there's also there's also this concept that the Buddhists share that uh, you know pain is guaranteed, suffering is optional, right? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I think that's very logotherapy esque. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in one of my understandings, and you've kind of touched on this already, that um, uh, there's a focus on search for meaning is sort of different than the will to meet and will to power or will to um, uh, pleasure, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, but the will to power and the will to pleasure are just so pervasive. So I, I, I'm assuming we're not saying that those things aren't real. How do those three, how do they work together? Boy, that's such a wonderful question, right? I think there's in each individual, we have to find a balance between all three of those. Um, I love in, in one of his books, and it might be Man's Search Meeting or, or multiple books, Frankel says, you can see farther when you stand on the shoulders of giants. So he respects and, and realizes the great contributions, Freud and Adler and everybody that came before him, the contributions they had. Um, he just added to that, you know, standing on the shoulder of those giants. And I think that's really the task we have every day as individuals, but especially as, as helping professionals, helping people find that balance. Yes, we need to feel powerful and empowered. Um, we need to enjoy pleasure in life. Frankl was just saying that wasn't the, the be all and end all of human existence. Necessary, but not sufficient. There we go. Absolutely. And is that kind of a question of orientation? Because when I think about you know, how we orient ourselves or what our intentions are. Like, it is possible to seek power. It's possible to seek pleasure. It's possible to seek meaning. I mean, those are options in a sense of the ways that we can live our lives. And so how do we maybe bring some intentionality into that? I think by self-exploration and, and interacting with others. Um, I, I love a quote from Bruce Lee. He would say, to know oneself is to study oneself in action with other people and to fully understand ourselves and where we're going. I think we need to observe how we interact with others. Do we interact with others as objects trying to satisfy our needs? Do we engage in true, um, as Frankl would say, self-transcendent love of another person trying to engage um, in their best interests? And I think throughout history, we see examples of that. Uh, uh, Thomas Merton is a great example. He talks about to love another person is to truly see them as who they are and not as the, the image we want them to be. And that takes constant introspection and insight. And, and by, con, you know, I, I think we read all over the place that, you know, daily introspection, taking a, a pause at the end of the day and looking at ourselves and saying, okay, did I do something good for others? Did I do something good for myself, my family? Where was I today and how do I want tomorrow to be better? Okay. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a really good encapsulation of how you're kind of toggling in between like a very personal focus and then mm -hmm. looking outward a little bit from yourself. Uh, and that, that meaning is somehow related to being conscious of something bigger, perhaps than just your own moment to moment desires. Absolutely. Wow. It's almost like a perfect segue. Frankel talks about um, ultimate meaning, that idea that there's something bigger than ourselves out there. He also relates it to um, religion and spirituality that uh, although he was religious, um, he didn't write about it. He didn't talk about it much because he believed in his writings about psychology that um, we're all on this path to a deeply individual spirituality in this search for ultimate meaning. 
but that we come about that on a day-to-day, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute choices, responsible choices towards finding the meaning of the moment. And I write about that a lot in, uh, in, in my, on my website, and I talk to my clients about that a lot. We have choices every moment. Do we want to go interact with our family and, and play a board game? Or are we going to sit in solitude in the basement and, and watch the latest episode of whatever's on Netflix? Um, and sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need that pleasure. But sometimes there's an opportunity to find meaning in that moment as well. Wow, that's a I love how you set that up, that, that opposition up. Um, so let me uh, kind of switch gears a little bit and ask you within the scope of this podcast. So we're uh, entitled Mindful Wealth. And so we're looking at um, maybe, you know, creating, investing, creating wealth, but in more of a holistic kind of a way. So if we were to position logotherapy and the search for meaning with respect to achievement, with respect to wealth, with respect to ambition, how might we fit those things together? I, th- I think there's a natural fit there, right? Like uh, through achievement, through doing things for ourselves, through doing, creating work in the world, through experiencing life, um, uh, through experiencing a good life, we find meaning. Um, those are all great opportunities to, to find meaning, to discover new meaning, and then to use those opportunities to, as, as we say in logotherapy, for self-transcendent acts, for self-transcendent works, to go beyond the self and help others. I think we all know, like when we do something that out of, out of pure motives, how good that feels. And so I think this ties in really well together, looking to uh, build wealth, to build security, to to achieve great things in life, and then to share that with others. Okay, so again, we find this sort of a self-transcendent uh, focus towards something that's bigger than just oneself, and that if mm-hmm. one looks after achievements or looks after wealth or, or or seeks perhaps material things, but in a way that is not just completely self-focused, that allows us to do it in a way that's meaningful and hopefully not destructive? Absolutely. One of my favorite quotes from Funkel is, is something along the lines, and I, I meant to bring the book up here to, to get it exact, but I'm going to paraphrase. He says, you cannot chase success for success like happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And, and it ensues through a search for meaning, through discovering meaning in our lives by seeking self-transcendent meaning by seeking these things creativity uh, our attitudes and experience by seeking meaning we find success and happiness oh dr dan i'm so excited about i love i love that that's my favorite quote in the world thank you for bringing <laughs> i i feel the same way about wealth about happiness about everything mm-hmm. those those grand targets we just we can't target them you know They're if so you hard. live a good life you get it if you don't live a good life you don't get it it's just absolutely it's amazing so I, I went, I spent a lot of time actually on your website. I went uh, page by page through all of your recommended readings. And what I discovered was I have them all. Like they're all on my shelf behind me. Uh, and except for that section on addiction. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'd love to hear you talk about some other sources. You've mentioned uh, Frankel. Uh, what a fantastic book, Man's Search for Meaning. You know, life changing, literally fantastic book. Um, but who else, is, who else has influenced you besides Frankel, uh, you know, in your life philosophy? So today, um, I'm reading a bit of uh, Franciscan priest Richard Rohr, and he is taking, it's it's actually called Adam's Return, about uh, 
kind of about being a man. And it, it's just interesting that from his spiritual point of view, how much it encapsulates so much of the psychology that we read. And, and I think the more I read just about anything, and of course, maybe it's my bias towards what I'm reading, more and more of these ideas converge from different sources. And, and I think that's a, a great experience. As you said, uh, it, it's kind of funny. It, here we are just meeting and comparing bookshelves saying, oh yeah, there's a lot there. Um, for me, I think this all started, I, I wish I could remember, over a decade ago, somebody recommended to me Seth Godin's Lynchpin. Um, and when we talk about business and wealth, I mean, Seth Godin is up there. Uh, his name is so prolific. If you just Google Seth, his website's the first one to pop up. And he talks a lot about the idea of uh, service and, and well, just like what Frankel talks about. When you do these kinds of acts selflessly, great success follows. And through reading Lynchpin by Godin, um, he introduced me to uh, one of his favorite artists, um, Hugh McLeod of what's called gapingvoid.com. And I just love his story, how he was kind of a beat down, overworked commercial artist in New York and just kind of came about drawing, I think he calls it uh, oh, billboards on the back of business cards or something like that. I love his art. Um, and in my other office downstairs, I've got many of his prints down there because it's just it's very meaningful and he, it's great little sound bites. So go to McLeod are two of my favorite business writers. Obviously, Man's Search for Meaning, um, life-changing. It set me on this path. And then going, going deeper with um, what's considered to be Frankl's magnum opus is uh, Doctor in the Soul. That is the book he went to the concentration camps with like the notes sewn into the liner of his jacket. And of course, they took that from him. And so he spent the next three years living it and trying to, trying to keep it in his memory. So that's the book he took quite a while to, to write and it probably goes most in-depth into logotherapy. Um, more contemporary, love Jordan B. Peterson, love 12 Rules for Life. Um, that's one of the rare books that I have on Kindle, in paper, and on Audible. Um, I love the Audible version because he reads it. So when you have an author reading their own works, um, I think there were a couple times in there he even got a little tearful and I'm like, oh, okay. This is the part I should pay attention to. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Johan Hari a couple of weeks ago. Love his work, Chasing the Scream. Um, that's a few years ago. That's about kind of the history on the war, war on drugs and how that's affected the whole world. But Lost Connections is it's probably about only out in the past year. And that's his research into anxiety and depression. And these two books, if you read them both, just come together so well on the idea that when we're disconnected, as so many of us feel in our world today, um, we, we feel depressed and anxious. When we feel depressed and anxious, we seek ways to make that feel better. And for many people, it's substance to use, it's spending, it's too much time on amazon.com. And by reigniting those connections, by seeking connections with new people, by engaging in self-transcendent works, we can heal ourselves and, and really come back from all that. So. My favorite contemporary artist, definitely Jordan B. Peterson, Johan Hari is is definitely up there. I see that I now have some homework to do. Uh, <laughs> I've just got some books added to my reading list. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, Chasing the Scream, I, I've, those are two books I have, again, multiple copies. Reading is awesome. Uh, Chasing the Scream, the audible version, the individual that does the voice for that, you there's such a feeling for the characters in this because he really traces the history of the war on drugs all the way back to the early 1900s um and so it's just a fascinating listen and then uh lost connections he reads himself so again another opportunity where an author reads their own works 
and it's just great to listen to them. So I highly recommend them. Mm -hmm. Let me uh, ask you something just to, you know, we, we've kind of like hinted at it a little bit with some of the answers to the earlier questions. It's so let's say we go far enough down the rabbit hole of logotherapy. Mm -hmm. Do we end up with either some kind of spiritual or religious practice? Like, is that kind of the end point of it? If we start searching for meaning, do we not end somewhere near there? Could be, could be, um, but doesn't have to be, right? Does it not necessarily guarantee it? I think when it comes to spirituality, um, logotherapy talks about recognizing there's something greater than us as individuals out there. And that may just be the interconnectivity of, of all human beings and life on the planet Earth and in the universe, right? It doesn't have to be a God figure, but it can be, right? So I think recognizing that we're all connected and we're kind of in this together trying to figure out how to live a good life and, and how to find meaning um, could take us to some kind of religion. But as Frankel says, it, it may take us towards kind of an individual spirituality where we come to some realizations about ourselves and our place in the world. I, I think there's something really, really interesting about um, when you think about it doesn't matter where you're stationed in life, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how much money you have. We all have this sense that we're suffering alone. Mm. And, and, and maybe maybe you don't like the, the, the thing is, I can't tell if you have that experience. I know that I have that experience and I listen to media and I watch social media and I see and it seems as if everyone has that experience. So this, this idea of logotherapy or the idea of the search for meaning as a salve that we can all share in if we just but try. It's just, it's, I'm, I get shivers when I think about it. If we would all just search for meaning, we could quit demonizing the other. And we just came through an election in the United States. And I, you know after that, I, I think we still demonize each other because we, ha we can't learn this lesson. So I, I think your work is so important, I really do. Thank you. Uh, and I would certainly agree when we can connect with others on some level and on any level, right? That uh, again, recognizing we're all in this together to truly love another person for who they are and to seek their well-being, regardless of their political views or who they are or, or what they are. It, yeah, it can really bring us all. I, I, I'm a big believer that through that individual kind of work, we can heal families, we can heal communities. And in doing that, I mean, yeah, it's a lofty goal, but we heal the world. So if I uh, can uh, allow myself to situate us also a little bit in the context of what's going on outside with the pandemic. So you hinted um, through some of your, you know, your podcast that you need to spend more time helping people in a more one-to-one -one setting and, and kind of doing less podcasting. If we could give you a platform to maybe give some advice to some of our listeners who are struggling with various aspects of, you know, social isolation and anxiety, uncertainty, all those things that are symptoms or byproducts of kind of what's going on would you have some advice absolutely um and it's ironic i i talk about this every day and it's and it's pretty much hit me every session and every hour of every day this idea of isolation and encouraging people to connect and reach out and to engage in in whatever creativity or experience they can well our experience is limited right now our opportunity to connect is limited we do have these opportunities and we have so many podcasts out there um for me i've turned to books a lot um to uh, try to expand my own personal knowledge um but i think seeking creativity see seeking new creative outlets through this struggle of the pandemic can certainly lead to 
new opportunities can lead to new meaning trying things different. Uh, I think I just saw a commercial on TV the other day. It was really, I, I can't remember what it was advertising, but it was a, I, I caught the cuteness, but not the product, right? It was a young girl talking about, wow, during this time, my brother's really learned to become a great cook. And of course the kitchen's blowing up or something like that. And, and I found out how much my dad really likes to work out and it shows dad in the basement. I thought, what a beautiful story. And I thought about my own family and what we did when things really got difficult. Um, we, we discovered that amazon.com sold out of all their puzzles really quickly because we bought a bunch of them. And then within a week or two, I couldn't find any more. Um, we, we found games that we hadn't played in a long time. So in a situation like this, sometimes those closest to you, spending time finding new ways to spend time with them, reaching out through technology. Uh, we all know how prolific Zoom has become in the past you know, six or nine months. Um, doing what you can. And again, looking at that idea that when we turn suffering into achievement, we, we find an opportunity to discover new meaning. And we're, <laughs> we're all suffering. We're all struggling through this. How can you as an individual, as a family, as a community, as the community you're creating here, how do you take that suffering and turn it into an achievement? I'm gonna I'm gonna switch it up a little bit here. So I I'm gonna turn this into a personal therapy session. <clears throat> That's okay. Uh, so I operate in the small business community quite often, um, and we are in my own office going through or some organizational change. Some, I, I guess it's positive, right? We're growing, and that creates issues. And so, could you walk through meaning-based leadership? I know that you use that on your website as one of the one of the things that's really important. So. I'd love to hear your sense of that, how it applies, and maybe what are some low-hanging fruit that I can I can use? Yeah, oh, I, I love meaning-based leadership. I'm actually working on a kind of a curriculum called Leaning, Leading for Meaning, and, and it really breaks down into a few short steps. I mean, it could be much more prolific than that, but the idea of, first of all, learning those people around you in their uniqueness. Logotherapy talks about how we're all um, special and unique individuals. We all have our own talents. We all have our own flaws. And when we come together as a group, as a small business, learning those things about each other only makes us more able to accept those differences when they come up in a business setting. I love using the Myers-Briggs type indicator for that. And, and I talk a lot about engaging through those unique differences, specifically because that's my areas. My, one of my areas is the Myers-Briggs using that to look at introvert extrovert differences how that relates to communication needs for space needs for workspace things like that um talking about the the judge uh, judgment versus perceiving difference um how those with a, a tendency of a preference towards judging are so much more organized um checklist people right I, I'm, I'm a big j myself right so there's always a checklist going through my head right and and <laughs> one of the other therapists i work with is a massive, massive P. And we've had so many wonderful difficulties over the years trying to figure out how to bring that to some kind of uh, cohesiveness. And sometimes it's not cohesive. It is just agreeing that we're different and somehow we have to get things done and they wind up getting done anyway. I love that idea of engaging each other in our uniqueness and specialness, specifically through whatever scientific measures we have. I prefer the Myers-Briggs. There's so many other ones out there though. Um, so that's a great one. Um, Answering the questions, answering for yourself individually, but also for each other. Who and how do I help in this small business? Who is the person I'm, you know, is sometimes if, if we're in, uh, I, I consult with a lot of manufacturing and it's really hard 
to always recognize who am I making this widget for? Um, in some areas, if you're making life-saving medicine or orthopedics, um, it's pretty easy, but not all the time is it. And, and so sometimes you're just helping the person above you or below you or the family next to you to keep on going discovering meaning. There's a lot of opportunities for that. So respecting and learning those differences of the people that you work with, engaging each person in their uniqueness and specialty, and then looking at, you know, who it is you're most interconnected with. That's that idea of self-transcendence. When we can look to the person next to us as we're growing and recognize, hey, I'm doing something for them. I'm doing something. If you're a business owner, you're always doing something for somebody out there. Defining that can, can really bring a lot of meaning. It's, I mean, it's really interesting. I think there's, uh, there's an emotion or maybe it's, a, maybe it's a psychological stance that sort of underlies this possibility. This idea of we have to be curious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you, I mean, I'm no expert in, in psychotherapy or psychology, but I know that like, there's kind of this tension between, let's say, anger and anxiety on one hand that causes you to sort of become very self-focused and shut down to the outside world. And I wonder is transcendence or looking for meaning, not a way to kind of step out of yourself and like overcome some of that. Absolutely. I, I think that's a natural way to do it. When, we're, when we are trying to seek something as ethereal as meaning by engaging in these concrete tasks, right? Creativity, experience, um, looking at our attitudes, uh, it, it can't help but draw us out of our shell. And, and the, to that idea of curiosity, I, I tell so many of my, my uh, students, my uh, future clinicians, this idea that we come out of graduate school hoping, maybe wishing, that we knew everything and how we're gonna help everybody all day, every day for the rest of our lives. And that's just not true. When we're curious about the people we sit across from and ask them those questions and ask them to teach us about themselves and what they're looking for, it's a growth opportunity for not just the, the client, but also the clinician. And so when we're curious about other people, we really seek to understand them. We can't help but grow ourselves and, and grow that connectivity. Oh, really uh, interesting. Um, so let me ask you now in a, in a recent blog post of yours where I think you called it the statue of responsibility. And I really love that because I feel like this is something that I'm kind of thinking about a lot these days with public discourse being really focused around rights. And I think there's a reason why, you know, various groups who have been disadvantaged for a long time are very much looking to redress some of the slanted playing field. And that's created a real buzz around rights, but have we somehow forgotten the fact that usually rights come with responsibility? I wonder if you could just kind of tell us a little bit of your thoughts around that. I, absolutely. Um, and and it's, it's interesting. I was just reading, as I was saying, some Ro uh, Richard Rohr, and he talks about this idea that because we've missed so much traditional value and initiation in, in history, that we do have this attitude that I, ha I, me, I have my rights and I need to uh, enact them, but that doesn't always come with responsibility. I don't recognize the responsibility of how that affects others. And I think in, in the field of logotherapy, we talk about responsible action. And that is often in considering how I impact others. Um, I, I did write about the statue of responsibility because hopefully uh, Frankel wrote, I think in the closing pages of Man's Search for Meaning and, and several other volumes, he talked about this idea as he compared European culture to the culture of the United States. He said, I love this idea that you have the statue of liberty on one coast, but I think it should be offset 
by a statue of responsibility on the other coast. And there's actually an artist who is pursuing that right now. But that's such a great uh, contrast, right? We have liberty, we have rights, we have freedoms, but those should be balanced by using them in a responsible way. And when we do that, again, not to continue to repeat the phrase, but when we do that, we have the opportunity to discover meaning in our lives, to recognize that I as an individual have rights. I have the responsibility to consider how that affects other people. And in doing that, we, we can really heal a lot of rifts between, between individuals, between groups, and, and in our cultures. And how, I mean, this might be getting a little bit beyond the scope of psychology, but I mean, how, let's say, you know, politically or how out in the external world might we do that? Is the practice of responsibility really an individual thing or is it something that somehow needs to be ensconced in public life somehow? Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could do that? (laughs) Um, And I can't remember what I was reading recently, but I was really feeling that way. Like, okay, so I've got a few years. How do I go out and change the entire world quickly so that we're all doing better? And then I stepped back and I took a sip of my coffee and said, all right, maybe you need to slow down. Right. And I just happened to catch this reading that said, you know, sometimes when we're making progress towards these very lofty goals like that, that's the best we can expect in our days. That's the best we can expect in our lifetime. And I think what we're doing here today is definitely an example of that. Hopefully what we're talking about here impacts a few people to go do something a little bit differently. Um, I have to step back and look at the time I spend in my, in my office. Those individuals will hopefully take that message and share with their family, share with their coworkers, share with the people that their lives touch. And when we do things like that, we are changing our small group around us. And as we know, the, the connectivity we have today, as, as each one of us can touch so many more lives in, in so many different places as we are today, we have the opportunity to do that. We just have to take responsibility for it. And, and that's, I think that's why during the pandemic, I said, hey, I need to start a podcast. I want to get this message out there more. That's why anytime somebody asks me to do a podcast, I'm like, yes, I can't wait. Let's, when are we going to do it? Um, and that's why also I, I really, you know, as I said earlier, my, my superpower, I feel like it's getting out there into conferences, small business organizations, and really sharing this message of leading for meaning. If, if we can do that as small groups of leaders and share that with the people we lead, we can't help but change those, those groups in some way. And ideally, it filters out into the greater world. I love it. I love it, Dr. Dan. All right. Well, I think uh, we're maybe at the end of the questions that uh, Jonathan and I had planned for today. Is there anything that you want to add, Dr. Dan? Any like closing words or or something that we didn't touch on? Wow. Um, Yes and no. Uh, As you may have witnessed, if you get me started, I can get going for a while. So I, I think you've covered most of the questions wonderfully. I think I do want to go back to that idea of you know, for the listeners out there, we talk about wealth and meaning. Um, when you try to discover meaning in a self-transcendent way, when you look for meaning, you'll find success and happiness. But don't worry about chasing success and happiness because you're not going to find them until you're, you know, as, as Jonathan said, really striving to leave the, uh, lead that good life. I feel like that's something, Jonathan, that you would have said. I feel like you did say that a bunch of times when we were off camera. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Yeah. Dan. I think this is great. Uh, Absolutely. Um, 
Do you have any other questions or anything, to, uh, Terry? No, I think, no. Uh, Dr. Dan, we want to really thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I know I sure feel like I learned a lot. Hopefully this is going to be useful to some of our listeners as well. And thank you very much for uh, being our guest today. Thanks for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Dan. Thank you for listening to our conversation with Dr. Dan France. One of the main takeaways for me from this episode was how the will to meaning is really something that you can place at the center of your life. It becomes an antidote to things like the will to power, the will to pleasure, or instant gratification, and that by orienting ourselves towards the search for meaning, we really have the best chance at success and happiness. If you want to delve deeper into some of these ideas, don't hesitate to check out the references and the books that are mentioned in the show notes. And of course, a classic of logotherapy, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Thanks for listening to the Mindful Wealth Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating and leave a comment, subscribe and share. You can find Jonathan at mindful.money. And you'll find Terry at terryshower.com. Their books, Mindful Money and Mindful Landlord, are available on Amazon. Look to the show notes for our guests' contact info and any links discussed in today's episode.